0: amen okay come on we could give a praise clap huh come on now I want to thank uh, Miriam and the band that do a fantastic job every week Amen? amen all right great great job okay so I want you to think back how many of you can remember your first day very first day on your job anyone can remember your very first day I spent the first two weeks just rearranging furniture inside the pastor's office that's what I did I didn't know what I was doing, all right? So the very first day, imagine this, imagine it's your first day on the job and you are the Federal Aviation National Operations Manager. You're in charge of everything that's in the skies in the US. And your name is a guy named Ben Sliney. And you get to work at eight o'clock and it's your first day, your first day at work. And you get your first cup of coffee, and you're meeting, you know, your new office manager. You're meeting some other employees, and you're you're going around. And and by the way, that first day at the office for Ben, oh, it happens to be September 11, 2001. Oh, we all, we know what happened on that day when four fundamentalists, you know, and they hijacked four of our planes, and 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 flew them into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, and what happened? So you're getting reports come across your desk, right, Uh, of the Federal Aviation Commission's office, and you're the national operations manager, and you have to make a critical decision. And here's the decision. Do you decide to shut down all of every flight in the United States? And you, uh, by the way, you've been at work 29 minutes, On your first day in the job. That's what he had going on. Because he was hired and and officially brought on September 10th, but didn't show up to work that day. Can you imagine? And, of course, he had to make a decision to actually not have any planes go in the sky. And we all know that he made the right decision, right? Amen? Absolutely. And his decision-making skill is what he's known for. The National Operations Manager. What a first day on the job. And here's what I wanna tell you about that. Decisions are very important because decisions decide destiny. Let's all say that together. Decisions decide destiny. That's right, people who make the right decisions in life, they're very, very, very valuable because they save companies and they make companies millions of dollars. Conversely, if you make the wrong decision, you cost the company millions of dollars and you don't have a job. All right, so I wanna say to you, you are not a product. You're not a product or victim of your circumstances. You are mostly a product of the decisions you have made. How many of you have ever made a bad decision and you said, well, I I, I did this to myself, yeah? Okay, we got a bunch of bad decision makers here. You all need to hear this message. All right, very good. So what do you think the difference is, though, between people that are really fulfilled in life? And when I say really fulfilled, they have meaningful, wonderful, loving relationships. They're financially generous with people around them. They're fulfilled in life. They have very meaningful ministries, they love their life, they have meaningful relationships, and then what's the difference between those people and those who are just struggling relationally, struggling to keep their marriage alive, and they're struggling to keep their kids off drugs, and, and people that are really generous versus people who are just financially strapped and they're destitute all the time. What is the difference between people who know there's more to life and they're really fulfilled or people who are just like, oh, I just think life sucks? What do you think the difference is? Well, let me tell you what it's not, because it's not what a lot of people think it is. The difference is not intelligence, right? Everyone thinks about how many of you know some really smart people who made some really bad decisions? Yeah, the difference is not talent. I have hired some really talented people who have made some really bad choices, it's not talent. It's not even their appearance because we've seen really attractive people, right, that made some bad decisions. We've seen talented people that are broke. We've seen attractive people that cannot hold a relationship. Some of you are saying, I dated that person. Don't nudge your neighbor right now. Someone just nudged their neighbor. That's not that. What do you think the difference between those who are really making a difference, those who are really fulfilled, and the rest of the world? I would say it boils down to... Decisions, decisions, it boils down to your decisions. The quality of your decisions determine the quality of your life. You make your decisions, and your decisions end up making you. Somebody say amen. Amen. You can decide to say amen at any point during the message today, friends. Okay, right? How many of you have said, man, tomorrow I'm going to eat right? Tomorrow I'm going to eat right. Because tomorrow is the best day to start a diet. And then then tomorrow comes, and you're there at the restaurant, you're like, oh, well, I don't know. Anyone here? You want to eat right, and then you find yourself eating wrong. Or you want to be wise with money, right? But then we decide to buy things we can't afford. We want to be wise with our words. We want to be kind, and we want to be loving. But doggone it, the way they cut me off, and I shouldn't have gone down Staples, I just can't do it. We want to love the people around us. But unfortunately, you're like, sometimes they're really hard to love. We want to be good decision makers, but the problem is many of us are not. In fact, would you like to hear a time when I realized I am not a good decision maker? Would you want to hear that story? Like it's a bad story about me. It's self-depreciating. It makes me look stupid. How many of you want to hear that story? Of course, yes, you're all fired up to hear about that. If you're online you want to hear this story, Put we want to hear how dumb you are, Pastor. Go ahead. You can put that in there. Tell us why you're stupid. One of the first times I realized I was a bad decision maker was I was actually in seminary. I was just married to Renee, which was the best decision of my life, absolutely, right? I was a full-time uh, student at SMU, not because I could afford it, but because they gave me a scholarship. Okay, let's be clear. And I was, I was at Highland Park United Methodist, and they wanted to, me to start a singles class, So I was like, how many singles do we have? And they said, none. Would you like to start a class? I said, class of none. How much work can that be? (laughs) I'll take it. So I started the class, and the class started growing and growing. It grew to 160 people a Sunday for a class. It's like a small church. Okay, I'm running a church now. So I'm going to school full time. I'm, I'm running this singles class. And all this, and that's too much. How many of you have ever taken on too much in your life? Yeah, and that's a poor decision right there, right? So now you have to think back. This is years ago. This is a long time ago, okay? This is a long time ago. And people had just started using personal computers. But no, we had two of them in the dorm, and you had to rent them out. Okay, you had to reserve your time, okay? So I used something called Typewriter. Now, you millennials, you can Google that, what a typewriter looks like, okay? And anyway, you just, you know, ding, ding. ding, ding. And then when you make a mistake, white out. You don't back up, there's no delete button, you white it out. And Renee was a very good, Renee was in, this is great. Renee's, Renee in high school, she was in the data processing club. So Renee could type. I found me a woman who could type. I was like, oh, I love you, baby doll. Come on. Yes. So Renee and I typed up a 15-page paper. I got to turn it into seminary class, but I'm doing it from the church office at Highland Park because they have a really good typewriter. And so I go home, and the next day my paper's due at 8 a.m. But where's my paper? It's in the church office. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to be late. I'm, I'm going to get an F. This is, this is my scholarship from the line. You, this is before email where you could email yourself a copy of the paper. No, 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 no. One copy. So what do I do? I get to Highland Park at 6 a.m. I show up at the church at 6 a.m. They got this little key programming thing that the the doors won't open with my key programming thing. They don't open until 7.30, that's too late. So, I was on the third floor of this building, my office was, and I always kept my window open. So I thought, I can climb that wall climb that wall. Now, how many of you have seen the most recent (laughs) Spider-Man? One, two, or three. I was the prequel, okay? I was the prequel. And uh, I decided to scale the outside of the building like Spider-Man. And I was climbing up. And have you ever climbed up something and then you got to a point like, I don't think I can climb back down? That's where I was at. And I climbed all the way up. And I knew I always kept my window unlocked. And I had a very lazy janitor. He never took out the trash and never locked the window. But wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? The one time out of all three years, he decides to lock my window. It's locked, so I get up the third floor, and the window's locked. I'm like, <laughs> so I can't get back down. Here I am in like you know khakis and penny loafers, and uh, you know look like uh, Jake from you know State Farm, right? Okay, and and I couldn't I couldn't get down. And so I'm like up on the third floor of the window holding on for dear life and I'm waiting for someone to walk by. Not many people are up. 715, this guy walks by, I'm like, hey, hey! And he's like this. He's like, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, woohoo, woohoo, up here, up here, look up, look up. So he looks up, he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, Are you breaking in? I'm like, I'm not breaking in. I actually work here. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, can you call for help? Oh, I'm calling for help, all right, sir. I'm calling the cops. So he doesn't have a cell phone, right? There's no cell phone. So he's like, I'm going to go to a pay phone, and a, and a pay phone to call for help. And you know how embarrassing it is when the fire department shows up and they have to get you down with a ladder? Do you know how embarrassing it was for me to go to the senior pastor, who was Mark Craig at the time, and, and him ask me, why were you on the third floor on the outside of the building again? And this guy can control my career. It was not a good thing. So I made a dumb decision. How many of you made a dumb decision? Amen? So I want to talk about the power of of making dumb decisions. And I want to start with a, a question. Why do we struggle with decisions? Why do we struggle to make good decisions? And psychologists will tell you there's basically three reasons as to why. One of the reasons is we're overwhelmed with choices. We're absolutely overwhelmed with choice. Studies show that most of us will make some 35,000 choices in a given day. From the moment you wake up, what do you eat? What do you wear? What do I look at? What do I scroll? Do I click on this? Do I comment on this? Do I do that? I mean, do you remember when you were growing up? When I was growing up, we had four stations, ABC, NBC, CBS. And if if your antenna was just right and you had enough aluminum foil on it, you might have gotten PBS. Now we have, what, 5,000 channels and nothing is still on. All right? And so, and, and what do you do? You go to work, and then you make thousands of decisions at work. What do I say to people at work all day long? And what happens is you make decision after decision after decision at work, and actually your decision maker gets tired. This is what psychologists call decision fatigue, okay? And essentially what happens as the volume of your decisions increase, the quality of your decisions decrease, which is why sometimes if you're married, if you have a partner, you make all these great decisions at work and you're loving and you're pouring it out. And then you get home and you have spent the best of yourself at work. And what does your family get? Crap. I, I can't tell you how many times Renee has said to me, I think you give everything great at the office and you leave nothing for at home. And she was right. You ever had that conversation with your spouse? Because you made all these great decisions, and you're tired. You're just spent, okay? And you're tired of making good decisions. Or, you know, or you're making wise financial decisions, and you're saving, and you're paying off debt, and you're doing the right thing. And then all of a sudden, you make some stupid purchase out of nowhere because of decision fatigue. Because, doggone it, it was 20% off, and that means it's God's will. We try to make good decisions. And then also, we're afraid, the second reason we make bad decisions, we're afraid of making the wrong choice, right? We get stuck in paralysis of analysis, right? We don't want to miss God's will. This is what Christians say, I don't want to miss God's will, and I'm not sure what's the perfect school, or the perfect job, or this is the perfect date, and since we aren't sure, what do we do? We start analyzing, and then we overanalyze, and what happens is we decide that we're not going to make a decision at all, and indecision is actually a decision, Right? And I always tell my staff look, indecision is the enemy of progress. We have to make progress. We all struggle to make decisions, right? Or this one, this is my favorite, and I think this is really true for me. We let emotions overrule logic. Have you ever made a bad decision because you're in a bad place? You're vulnerable? Oh, I'm the only one. This is great. I appreciate that. (laughs) We're done confessing today. That's it, we're done. You're tired of raising your hand. You're just, we're done, Pastor. We're done. So many, we let emotions overrule logic. And this is where it gets really, really interesting because sometimes we spend so much time overanalyzing it, right? Right? Sometimes, how many of you have ever overanalyzed your Netflix series that you want to binge watch? And you spent more time analyzing what Netflix series to watch than you actually spent watching it. Anyone here? Well, I don't know. Should I watch this? Should I watch this or not? A long time ago, I thought I was going to be a Texan. I thought I was going to have a truck. I thought I was going to have a truck because every Texan needs to have a truck. I asked at 9 o'clock, what does every person in Texas have? You know what people told me? A gun. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was a whole different message there, all right? All right. So I got a Nissan Frontier truck. It was a four-seater. Yeah, it was, it was used. It was a nice little truck. Uh, you know, and then I thought, well, what do I got to have? If you have a truck in Texas, what do you have to have, gentlemen? You've got to have, because you've you got to have it, especially if your truck bed's kind of small. You've got to have another word that starts with a T, and that's a trailer. You've got to have a trailer. And so what did I do? I spent hours analyzing trailers. I was looking up what's a good trailer, what's a bad trailer, how do you hook up a trailer, how do you do the trailer. I spent all this time analyzing, and I spent $3,000 on a trailer, and I was going to be a Texan, and I was going to have a trailer, and I was going to help you haul stuff. Because <laughs> that's what everyone does when you have a truck. Can you help me? You got a truck. So now I drive a sports car. Then you don't got to ask me. Forget it. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, so I bought a trailer. And I had to analyze. I spent hours, consumer reports, analyzing the trailer. I hooked up the trailer. I did not spend any time learning how to drive with a trailer. So my very first time, I back up the truck, I jackdifed the trailer right into my truck and caused $2,000 worth of damage to the truck. The good news is the trailer was so great, the trailer was perfectly fine, the truck was not. Okay, bad decisions because you let emotions overrule logic. The bad news is I overanalyze something, and when it comes to important decisions, sometimes I don't analyze it at all. And you know how this plays out. Have you ever had a frustrating moment with your kids, parents in the room? got yeah, a frustrating moment and so you're, you're 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 feeling upset with them you're feeling frustrated and logic says what be patient be loving be kind explain to them but well, what does your emotion say yell at them as loud as you can and which one wins Right? Your emotions take over. Or some of you might have an, un, 9 o'clock didn't like this at all. Some of you might have an unexpected temptation. Oh, it happens. And logic says, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, look out, look out, don't do that. And your emotions go, let's party, I like the look of that. <laughs> oh, just me again, okay. And so often emotional decisions, we end up hurting People we love the most. And so I tell my kids this all the time. I tell Jacob and Zachary all the time. I say, look, whatever you do, do not make permanent decisions based upon temporary emotions. Feelings are something you have. They come and go. Feelings are not what you are. Okay? So don't make decisions that are going to impact you for years based upon some temporary emotion. In other words, never cut down a tree in the wintertime. Never make a negative decision in a low time. Never make your most important decisions when you're in the worst mood. Hello? Somebody say amen. Amen. Somebody decide, just give me one spontaneous amen today. I'll be so happy. Jeez. All right. Why is it important we spend time on our decisions? Because the quality of our decisions determine the quality of our life. And one of the best ways, one of the best ways, what I want to share with you, we're talking about taking back your life. How do you take back your life? How do you make sure you're you're living the life that God intended? Well, one of the best ways you can live in in, in terms of being in tune with God, in terms of being in tune with God, a God-glorifying life, is you actually decide right now what you're going to do later. It is what psychologists call the power of pre-deciding. I'm going to pre-decide. The power of choosing ahead of time before I get into that moment. Unsuccessful people make decisions based upon their current circumstances. Successful people make decisions based on where they want to be. You have predecided. And with our goal with God's help as followers of Christ is to ask God to help us make some predecisions, to decide ahead of time what we're going to do in the future. And there's a book that talks about this. They used to teach this book to young people. I wish we still did. It's 4000 years old. It's the book of Proverbs a great book to begin reading if you just want to start reading the Bible. Proverbs 16.3 says this, and let's read it together. It'll be on the screen here. Let's read it together. Whatever you do, commit to the Lord. The key word there is whatever. If you're dating somebody, commit that relationship to the Lord. If you're married, commit that relationship to the Lord. If you're making financial decisions, commit that financial decision to the Lord. Making professional decisions, commit it to the Lord. Relational decisions, friendship decisions. Whatever decision you make, commit it to the Lord. And here's what Scripture says. Whatever you do, commit to the Lord. And here's the rest of the passage. And he will establish your plans. So God will help you establish your plans and decisions when you commit them to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. How many times have we said, You know, I need to ask God, what is the best decision here? And then we pre-decide before we get in the circumstance. Should I buy this? Should I look at this? Should I reach out to this person? Should I respond? Should I just yell at my kids? Somebody said amen, I heard it. That's the wrong amen. you got to know when to say amen. Maybe that's the problem. You're having a problem with making decisions about when to say amen. So whatever I'm faced with this scenario, I've pre-decided to take this action. When I'm tempted to drink, I've pre-decided at that moment, I'm not going to just sit there and go, oh, it looks really good. Oh, it feels really good. Maybe I should. I've pre-decided I'm going to call my sponsor and say, you know, I'm feeling some temptation. And I'm going to get in front of my sponsor, and they're going to hold me accountable. Hello? I've made a pre-decision. Well, I'm tempted to make an impulse purchase. Renée and I have have a rule in our marriage and the rule is this you can't spend more than $250 without talking to each other. You know how that rule came out? Because I was spending more than $250 without talking to her. I would just be like, "Here it is. What do you think?" Really? First time I came home with a Miata. She's like, "Where do the kids sit?" It's standard. I don't drive standard. I go, you're catching on. (laughs) You're getting the... (laughs) It was not good for a while. Sometimes I feel anxious. I get in certain circumstances where I know I'm going to feel anxiety. I know it. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to just obsess. I'm going to worry. I'm going to raise my blood pressure like always happens. Because the, the third most prescribed drug in America right now is anxiety drugs. Or I know I'm going to get in a situation where I might have some anxiety, so what am I going to do? I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to give my life to God. I'm going to trust God for what I cannot do, and I'm going to worry about what I can change, and I'm going to focus on that. And I'm not going to have so much anxiety. I'm going to give it to God. I've predecided how I'm going to deal with it. Someone cuts you off in traffic. Someone cuts you off on staples. First of all, predecide not to go down staples. But if you find yourself on Staples, we're going to predecide that when someone cuts you off in that moment, we're going to pray that they will go to heaven instead of telling them they're going to go to hell. <laughs> I'm going to predecide this. I'm going to predecide the language that comes out of my mouth cuz my kids are in the car when I'm driving the family car. I'm going to predecide. Right? And so here's what I do. I find, you know, some of you want to tell people they're number 1. Don't do that. This is what I do. I make the sign of the cross, and I go, God bless you. And people, it messes them up. They're like, they don't know how to react to that. We're going to predecide. And if you can look at this, you can see in Scripture people who actually pre-decided. You can look at the book of Ruth. Ruth, in chapter 1, made a very strong commitment to Naomi. And she said, look, no matter where you go, I'm going. And, and your people are going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. Daniel, Daniel, we talked about Daniel last week when we talked about consistency. Daniel was the king of predecision. He and his friends were taken hostage, taken out of their homeland, taken to Babylon, and Babylon they wanted them to worship their gods and eat their food and do their thing. And Daniel said, you know what? If you read chapter 8 and verse 1, he said, it says, Daniel resolved. It, it might say Daniel predecided not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine he didn't wait until he got in the dining room to make a decision how many of you have ever struggle with overeating and you wait till you're right there at the buffet you can't go to the buffet you got to pre-decide i ain't going to the buffet hello okay i guess you all want to go to the buffet that's cool He had predetermined because of his faithfulness to God. I'm not going to be weak in a future moment. I predecided, And here's the key. Why? Because he knew who he valued. And so I got to ask you this because this is really the key to the message. What do you value? What are your values? Are your values clear? Because if you have fuzzy values, then you'll have fuzzy decisions. But if your values are clear, right, I don't drink. I struggle with alcohol, I'm an alcoholic, I go to meetings versus, well, you know, I've had some difficulties with alcohol, but I think I can handle it. What are your values? Are you a person of integrity? What do you want me to say at your funeral? That's another way of saying it. This person was generous. This person was a person of integrity, right? You know, are you going to be a person that's going to be easy to talk about at your funeral? Or are you going to be one of these people that says, you know, they never said an unkind word about anybody? You know what that is? Crap. <laughs> when families tell me that, I'm like, they don't know what to say about this person. You think I struggled to say anything good about Elon Barnes? Heck no. I, Elon Barnes, he lived a life, I could talk about his values. I knew what his values were. And his values determine his decisions. When your values are clear, your decisions are a lot easier. So you decide, what am I going to value ahead of time? Whatever I face in this situation, I've pre-decided. Somebody say amen. Come on. Decisions determine direction, and direction determines your destiny. So I want to ask you a big question, and this is a big question, and this is key to taking back your life. If your life is moving in the direction of your decisions, do you like the direction your decisions are taking you? And if you don't, it's time to take your life back. It's time to pre-decide today to do something different. Predecide. When I'm faced with a situation, because of who my God is and my values, I'm not going to wait until I face that situation. I'm going to make a pre-decision. And I'm not going to make a decision based on how my emotions or, or how I'm feeling or if I'm weak or if I'm tired or hungry or angry or lonely or tired. All those are terrible ways to make decisions. And when we're in those state of mind, we know that we don't make good decisions. So, why is this important? Because, and if I can be honest with you, I've noticed a few qualities about me that are negative. And truthfully, these qualities you might have in your life as well. But I'm just going to talk about me because I write these messages for me. I'm glad you showed up. I'm glad you're online. (laughs) Have you all not figured out this is actually therapeutic for me? So, real talk. Sometimes I'm inconsistent. Sometimes I'm inconsistent. Sometimes I say I'm going to go to the gym, and I don't. Sometimes I say I'm going to pray, and I don't. Sometimes I'm inconsistent. And if I would be more consistent in my life and predecide that and prioritize that, I'd be better off. Sometimes I'm also unprepared. I can be unintentional. Instead of being proactive and prayerful and intentional about my decisions, I just let life come at me, and I get reactive instead of proactive. And I hate to say this out loud, but by nature, guess what? Pastor John is selfish, Amen, yes. Here we go again with the amen at the wrong time. Look, friends, we need some help. We need some tutoring on when to say amen. When I'm making fun of myself, don't say amen, okay? (laughs) But look, I don't know if you're like me, but if I have a picture taken of me and there's eight people in the picture, I ain't looking at the other seven. First one I go to, so how do I look? I need to get back to the gym. I got double chin in that one. Come on. Just me. Another problem, I'm short-sighted. Sometimes I'll just do what feels good in the moment, and I won't think about long-term consequences. I think I should buy that Miata. I think I should buy that car. Let Renee adjust. Sure, it's over $250, but, you know, it's just a car payment. So let me ask you the most important decision in your life. And this is something my mom always said to me. My mom would always say, what are you gonna do, John, with Jesus? What are you gonna do with him? Because Jesus made some outrageous claims. Jesus said some crazy stuff. I mean, when you think about it, Jesus said things like, I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And do you know that early Christians... You know the term Christian in the Bible only appears three times? That people were actually called people of the way because they followed what Jesus did. They were, lived the way he did, people of the way. And, and Jesus said some outrageous stuff, like he said, the Father sent me, and I was born of a virgin. Wow. And, and here's what's amazing is Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the people that look good and have their act together. No, no, I came for, for people like you, John for the sick and the sinners and the people like you that are watching online and that are here in the church. Because I know that every one of us has brokenness in our life. You look good today. You all look pretty. But guess what? We all wear that veneer, and underneath there's some brokenness. Now, you can sit here and pretend it's not true, but it is. And then and then Jesus said, I'm going to perfect lamb, and I'm going to be slain for you, and I'm going to give my life on the cross for you, and, I, and I'm going to climb up there, and I'm going to die for you because you're worth it. What are you going to do with that? And then he said, and anyone who calls on me, and that includes you, that includes the sinner, anyone who calls on me, and it's the name above names, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, anyone who calls on me, I will rescue you, and I will redeem your life, and I'll give to you abundant life right here, right now, not just a ticket to heaven. Oh, no, no, I'm giving you something better, a way of living, so you can choose to be forgiving instead of resentful, and I'll give you the power to do that because we all need power to forgive. I mean, it's, you know, it's one decision. What are you gonna do with Jesus? And people decide all the time. And here's the thing, Jesus will never reject you. Whether you accept him or not, that's your decision. And he'll even honor that decision. People say no to God all the time. So I'm just gonna ask you another question. And I know it's 1150. Sometimes people text me, it's 11.50, really? (laughs) I've heard the the comments, we need a a clock up here. I got a clock right here on my iPad. It's small, but I see it. Raise your hands up if you decided, if you said, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you decided to follow Jesus. If you decided to follow Jesus online, put down follow. I've decided to follow. I mean, am I done now? If you look at the first followers of Jesus they made a decision that determined their destiny. And you can actually read about it. It's in the book of Acts. And the reason it's called the book of Acts, because it was the first Acts of the church. The first group of people that said, you know, we've decided to follow Jesus. You read Acts 2.42, it says these words, they devoted themselves, devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. They heard teaching about the word of God. They fellowship with each other. They broke bread and they were complete, completely devoted to prayer. And the result was, if you continue the Scripture, it says people around them were sort of shocked and they were filled with awe because they saw a community that really loved each other and welcomed everyone and they were like, oh my gosh, and it was contagious and people wanted to be part of it. Devoted, devoted, devoted to God, to prayer. The key word there is devoted. And if you look at the Greek word in Devotion, it's actually in the imperfect tense. It's not a one-time devotion, but an ongoing, continual devotion. It could accurately be translated, they were continually devoted to Jesus. Now, I just want to pause and just imagine, just for a moment, that this was written today. Let's just take Acts 2.42 and say, let's write this passage for today, for the modern-day Christian, for the casual Christian, for people who say they're devoted You know that people, they've done surveys, people that say they are regular attenders of church, you know what that means? I come once a month. I don't think that's devoted, by the way. So let me just rewrite this. You know, this is the the kind of person I'm talking about. I kind of believe in God. You would never know it from the way I live my life or decisions. You would never know if you asked me, but I I believe in God sort of. You know, I go to church every once in a while. Let's rewrite Acts 2.42 from the MCV version or the modern Christian version. I'm totally making this up. Please don't look for the MCV, okay? This is how it would read. They devoted themselves to themselves, and they continually and passionately pursued a self-centered life of comfort and ease. It's getting real quiet in here. There's no more amens going on. I don't mean to be rude and I don't want to pick on anybody, but these are people you like to be around and they have normal everyday desires and they want to be liked and they want to be comfortable and they want to be popular and they want to be TikTok famous. I mean, it's just normal stuff. Like I want to finish school pastor and I want to find a job that I love and then I want to marry a hottie and then I want to have a nice house and some nice kids and I want to travel the world and then when I die, I get to go to heaven. woo sounds good to me. Sign me up. And some of you are like, well, that's not me. That's not me, pastor. You're obviously talking to somebody else. And truthfully, I hope I am. But what I want to do is I want to just give you a brief illustration just for perspective on how devoted you really are. So do you want to see it? Do you want to see this perspective? Yes? Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to show you a line on the screen. And this is, I'm going to just actually, it's a big line, but we're going to pretend this line is 168 inches across. Okay? Why is 168 inches? Because this, this line represents one week of your life. One week of your life has 168 hours. Now, if you're devoted to something, would you would you agree that you're going to devote your time to that which you're devoted to? Yes? Amen? All right. So what I want you to think about is what do I do? How do I spend a normal 168 hours a week? And I can help you answer that because I've done the research on it. And almost all of you, unless you have sleep apnea uh, and you have to take a ton of melatonin, almost all of you sleep every night. How many of you like sleep? I love sleep, yes. Sleep, sleep, sleep. So you're going to spend a third of your life on sleep. Okay. Then you're going to spend another third of your life on going to work or going to school, or paying your mortgage, or whatever you do, or paying for your Miatas or your sports cars, whatever you're gonna do, you gotta to go to work and do that. And that's another third of your life, another third of your week. So that leaves you with 56 flexible hours remaining. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. How many of you are on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram? Oh, we don't have any hands up going? Oh, come on, I'm Facebook friends with all of y'all, come on now. <laughs> so Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Whatever, LinkedIn, how many of you are on social media? Just say, I'm on, yeah, I'm on social media, yeah, yeah. Some of you are watching on social media right now, which is great. The average social media user spends 17 hours a week taking up 17 of your 50-something hours left. Now you only got 39 hours left of what I'm going to call other stuff, other stuff. We all know about other stuff. Right. And other stuff is you got to take your kids everywhere and your kids got to go everywhere. I remember this. Right. You got to take them to dance. You got to take them to piano and then algebra lessons. Right. And you got to take them to school and then you got to get gas and you got to clean your car like you do that once every seven years. Right. And then you got to go to H.E.B. and complain about how much groceries have gone up because inflation. And then you got to cook something. Then you got to clean something. And then you got to pay your taxes. and You got to pay your bills. And then you got to mow your yard. And then you got to do this. And you got to go out with your friends. And then you got to spend all that time. Trying to figure out what Netflix series you want to binge watch, right? And then you got to spend the time binge watching your Netflix series. And so we get down to it. We have now one hour left. One hour left. Oh, that's my God hour. And boy, Pastor John better have us out by 12.01. Because I sure don't want to give God an extra minute. And if we go to... 1206, I'm going to complain because I'm going to, I can't give the creator and redeemer and sustainer of my life, the one who I'm going to spend eternity with an extra six minutes today. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We're Christians. Yeah, okay. So, I just wonder, I mean, take one hour. How many of you, you go to the doctor and they're like, uh, yeah, you're pre-diabetic, you're overweight, uh you're not eating right, your cholesterol is high, and you look at the doctor and say, well, I don't understand. I work out one hour a week. What's the problem? Or why am I not the valedictorian? I spent a whole hour this week studying. Take your marriage. Imagine me Coming home to Baby Doll today and saying, you know, Baby Doll, i got 168 hours, and I love you, I'm devoted to you, we're married, I put the ring on, we paid for the wedding, everything, it's good. But hey, this upcoming week, I'm only going to be able to squeeze you in for an hour. You think I'd have a great marriage if I spent an hour with my wife? Some of you are like, that might be the key. (laughs) Wait a minute, Pastor, you're on to something here. (laughs) That's not the way you're supposed to take that, all right? You're not going to have a dream marriage in an hour. You're not going to graduate at the top of your class. You probably won't even graduate if you only study an hour. So if we're partially devoted to God, if we're only giving God an hour, if we're only giving God time when it's left over or when it's convenient or we don't have anything else to do or when it just falls into, you know, into our schedule, no wonder we fall back into the same old sin. No wonder we can't forgive people. No wonder we're full of resentment. No wonder our finances are a mess. No wonder our relationships are a mess. No wonder we're addicted because guess what? We're not spending any time with God. The one who created us and made us and redeemed us and sustained us. Hello? Oh my gosh. Imagine if God said, "Well, I'm I'm devoted to you for an hour." Right, no one ever just says, you know what? I was just going with the flow, and all of a sudden, I woke up and I was a spiritual powerhouse. My gosh, I don't know what happened, but there's like Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, and me. It just happened. One hour a week. I know the Bible now. I'm like a missionary. I go out everywhere I go. People flock. They want to know my teachings. Or all of a sudden, I'm morally pure. I spend an hour with God, and I'm no longer tempted. Listen, here's what's interesting to me. People I know, some people in this room who've been sober, right, struggle with alcohol at one time in their life, been sober 35 years, 36-year pins. Guess what? They spend more than an hour going to meetings. They go to four or five meetings a week. And sometimes I ask them, why do you do that? It's devotion. They're devoted to it, and they know first of all, they want to look at how they used to be when the newcomers come. Hello? Devotion. I don't remember every shower I've ever taken. I don't remember every worship service. I don't remember every sermon I've given, but I know I needed a shower. Some of y'all need a shower. Did you just say we stink? <laughs> so I want to live an ongoing Not a one-time decision, but an ongoing, single-minded pursuit of Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, look, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be given to you. Clarify your values. Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else just falls into place. And then you're going to spend more than an hour with God. And just in case you don't get it, Jesus said things like in John chapter 15, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's make sure you understand your role in this parable. It's my role, as too. Everybody say, Jesus is the vine. I'm the branch. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're the branch. Tell them you're not the vine. Yeah. So here's the deal. When you remain with Jesus, When you remain with Jesus, it's an interesting question because if you had asked Jesus, how's your spiritual life, Jesus would have said, what? In Hebrew, there's no such thing as spiritual life. It's just my life. God's not impressed with your devotional life. God wants your life. And so if you remain in Jesus, you have these things called spiritual fruit. Things that you produce like love and joy and patience and peace and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things become evident. These are the fruits of your life. These are what people see that you produce. Or you can have worriedness, anxiety, depression, inconsistency, self-indulgence, and pride. And so if you have all those things, you might ask yourself, how much am I spending time with the one who can produce the fruit in me that I want in my life? How devoted am I really? So let's just play a little game. There's one word that appears 11 times in this chapter, 11 times. It's a pretty important word. What we're going to do is we're going to try to find that word. If you cannot find that word after being in this time with us, there will be a prayer time for you, especially for you at the end of the service. Come on down is telling you. So when you tell me, you find the word, say, I got it. Okay, it's in John 15, 4. Here it goes. Jesus said, remain in me. And I also, we've underlined the word here, remain in you. If you don't have it yet, stick with me. Here we go. Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Do you know what the word is, church? Let's all say it together. Remain. In the Greek, it's menio, m-e-n-o, and it means to continually abide, continually be devoted. It means your whole life, 168 hours, is given to God. So when you're at work, you're representing God. When you're at home, you're representing God. You're in touch with God because you've made a decision: I will seek first the one who matters most. You're the one that really matters. So I'm going to close with this because it's 12.03 and some of you are going to text me. Not today anyway, <laughs> next week. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, a day of love. You want to know about predeciding? I'll tell you about pre-deciding and Valentine's Day. It actually works completely with this sermon. Valentine's Day, how did it get started? It got started in the year of 270. The Roman emperor at the time was a guy named Claudius II. And Christians were being persecuted. Christians were being heads cut off. There was a bishop in the church, in the Roman Catholic Church, named Bishop Valentine. And guess what he was doing? He was doing bishop sort of things. He was bishin. And when you bish, you bish, okay? That's why I want to be the bishop of Yorktown. He was bishin. Not the other word, bishin. I have to say that carefully. <laughs> okay, here's what bishops do. They do what pastors do they hatch them, match them, and dispatch them. <laughs> Baptize, marry, and bury. He was doing weddings, conducting weddings, Christian weddings. People were getting married. Claudius II, the Roman emperor, didn't like that because when men got married, they didn't like to go to war. It's a funny sort of thing. Stay home and love your wife, cuddle time, or go fight and die. I think I'm going to choose cuddle time. So Claudius II didn't like that. He wanted everyone in the army. So he said to the bish, no more bishing, no more weddings. But the bishop, Valentine, had pre-decided that when he gets in a situation where he has to choose between the state and God, he's always going to pick God. So guess what he did? He did clandestine bishoping. He did clandestine weddings, and he kept doing weddings. And so Claudius II found out, hey, did you marry so-and-so? And And he said, I predecided not to lie. So, yes, I told the truth. Yes, I did. And Claudius II said, well, you're going to go to jail. So they put him in jail. And so from jail, guess what the Valentine did? He wrote letters to couples he had married and he encouraged them to stay in love. And he wrote letters to couples he was counseling about love, and he wrote letters to marriages that were in trouble. And these were called Valentines. Because he had predecided what his values were: God over state. God over everything. Throw me in jail. That's why Paul said, throw me in jail. I'm still going to preach Jesus in jail. I'm still going to be the same person in jail as out of jail. So, what are you devoted to? Your calendar will tell you. Let's pray. God of grace, help us to make the right decisions this week. Help us to look at that timeline. Help us to think this week when we're tempted to scroll through social media Help us maybe to even scroll over to a Bible app and read some scripture. Help us to spend some time in prayer. Help us to spend some time predeciding what our life should look like. And know that we're gonna face moments of temptation. We're gonna face moments of anger. We're gonna face moments when we're hungry. We're gonna face moments when we're lonely. We're gonna face moments when we're tired. But help us to decide how am I going to be in those moments? And who am I gonna give my life to? I give thanks that Jesus predecided, Lord that his life was not gonna be about him, but about each of us. His life was not gonna be about getting married or having kids or being a grandfather or having a 401K. His life was gonna be about climbing up on that cross and dying for our sins and our mistakes. And through your great power, you raised him from the dead and give to us the possibility of eternal life and abundant life. But we still have to decide, what do we do with Jesus? So I pray, Lord, if there's someone watching online right now or in this very room and they have not made a decision, that they'll say this simple prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart and my life. I decide to give you everything. I surrender all of my life to you. And I want to give you my time, my heart, my money, my energy, my everything. As you gave everything for me. And just as you died for me, I want to live for you. I pray that we'll make that decision. And for some of us, that might mean taking back our lives. The lives that God intended for us to live. We pray this in the name of Christ, the one who taught us as we say now together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand and sing this last song, nothing else.